Please turn in your Bibles with me to our passage today. It's found in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. And follow along as I read aloud. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Hope everyone's doing well. I trust that uh, everyone would like the wind to die down just a tad. Kind of blew in here this morning. We're going to continue on in Colossians. And, um, you know, uh, before we get started here. Oh, yeah. Okay. uh, A passage like this, uh, the attributes of Jesus Christ, I feel wholly inadequate. how do, you, how do you do enough justice to these attributes of Jesus? So we're going to rely a lot on Scripture uh, today, as I always do, and other let Scripture interpret Scripture. <clears throat> and, uh, but we'll do our best to exalt Christ. The title this week is The Supremacy of Jesus in All Things. So let's pray and ask His help, and uh, then we'll get started. Merciful and gracious God, as we bow before you, we just ask that you would help us here today as your word comes off of the page. These words you have written so long ago that you preserved for us, that we are to hear, to take in, to allow to change us. I pray that your spirit would work within that end to accomplish your purpose, that you would receive the glory that you so deserve. Help us here now, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I hope the Colossians uh, study is both challenging and encouraging to you. I expect that as we've been stepping verse by verse through the scriptures, uh, that every one of us comes across different pieces that encourage and pieces that challenge. That's how God's Word works. I think it either brings us into a point of conviction or it brings us into a point of encouragement and allows us to be sustained as we press on and, and are growing 
and we're finding uh, evidences of God working our life. It should be encouraging to us. It should uh, be the fuel uh, for us to press on. And, and then where we need to be convicted and make change, we should. This week, my aim is very simple. To cause everyone here today to look upon Jesus. Either for the first time as your Savior, or if you're already a believer, to see Him more truthfully and more fully in a way that it impacts your life. Now, I started something a few weeks back, and I want to share this with you. I have this book up here by Isaac Ambrose. He's a, a Puritan author. And I, uh, I was turned to this book. I've been, I was listening to a podcast called Looking Unto Jesus. And this pastor was taking Puritan passages and reading uh, like a paragraph or, a, a, you know, three or four paragraphs of a Puritan writer and the verses that, from Scripture that support that. And he was talking about this book. And it's 694 pages of Looking Unto Jesus. Now, I like to say that I like Puritan writings. And even in our own, uh, I think sometimes that can be a form of spiritual pride if you're not careful. Oh, well, I like to read the Puritans. Well, yes and no. I mean, I like to say that, but then when I get into the Old English, I'm like, well, you know, this is really tough. So why do I keep telling everybody that I like to read the Puritans? That's because it looks good among my brothers, right? So you have to be careful with this. So in this particular case, you know, this is quite different than what we're doing for our men's study, right? The little 60-page booklets. So maybe one of these days we'll graduate to this. But uh, I want to read the introduction. The only reason I want to read a couple sentences from the introduction is because it talks all about Colossians. And so as I was reading this, the whole looking unto Jesus, he references a couple of verses in Colossians. And so Isaac Ambrose had gone under a serious illness. And as he was coming out of his illness, he said, Then I resolved, if the Lord Jesus would but restore my health and prolong my life, I would endeavor to discover more of this gospel duty than ever yet I knew. He continues on, In the progress of my labors, I found a world of spiritual comfort, both in respect of the object that I handled, Jesus Christ, and in respect of the act wherein consisted my duty to him in looking unto Jesus. For the object, it was the very subject whereon more especially I was bound to preach, Christ in you, the hope of glory, Paul says to the Colossians. And he immediately adds, whom we preach, Colossians 1, 27 and 28. And therefore he exhorts that we should labor to be always speaking somewhat about Christ. We're tending that way. When we speak of the law, let it drive us to Christ. When of moral duties, let them teach us to walk worthy of Christ. If then but once a day thou wouldst make this Jesus Christ thy subject to know, consider, desire, hope, believe, joy in, call upon, and conform unto in his several respects of plotting, promising, performing thy redemption in his birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension, session, intercession, and coming again, and that one of these particulars might be thy one day's exercise, and so every day thou wouldst proceed from first to last." Now, would not this variety delight? It is the observation of Mr. Lockyer on Col Colossians 1.16 that an holy soul cannot tire itself in the contemplation of Jesus. How much less can it tire itself in looking unto Jesus, which is far more comprehensive than contemplating of Jesus. Now, when I read writing like that, 
and I see the depth with which they are talking about contemplating and dwelling on and looking unto Jesus, it challenges me personally. Now, how I'm using that is I'm, I've got it on my bedside. I'm using it as a devotional. So I'm trying to read one to two pages a night. Most nights I try to get one to two pages in. And I have found it very fulfilling to spend the very end of the day, right before I go to sleep, trying to orient my mind and my thoughts to looking unto Jesus. Now, the whole Bible is supremely about Jesus Christ. The Old Testament records all of the preparation and looking forward to His coming. The Gospels present Him as God becoming flesh. Acts tells of the early church and the message of salvation, Jesus' and the Gospel spreading. The epistles detail the theology of Christ's work and present the details of Jesus in relation to His body, the church. Revelation puts Jesus on His throne as King of kings and Lord of lords. Luke 24, 27, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus begins with the law and the prophets and explains to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. Philip preached Jesus to the Ethiopian eunuch, and he started in the book of Isaiah. We remind ourselves that uh, Paul was dealing with this heresy that was creeping into the church about Christ's deity, and Paul is addressing these things head on here. But before we get into this week's text, we have to understand how it fits in the context of the past two weeks or the past two studies and then what is coming next. In verses 1 through 8, we saw Paul thankful for the evidence of the gospel among them and its effectiveness among them. Verses 4 and 5 in chapter 1, Paul called attention to the evidence of their faith in Christ, the love for the saints, and the hope in Christ's return. These attributes were all attributed to the gospel bearing fruit within them. Last week, we see Paul praying that they would be so filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, and it's so as to walk in a manner worthy of our Lord. And that's the one thing I hoped everyone remembered last week, was the so as to. Paul was praying that we would be filled with all knowledge and wisdom and understanding, but it's to so as to, to let it flow out. I love to talk about theology. I could talk about it for hours and debate finer points and and to think on these things. But if it doesn't, if it comes in and stops and doesn't flow out, it can puff us up. Christianity is a contact sport. We should be out impacting the world. So, as we learn and as we learn how to discern key spiritual truths and apply them to the world, that's wisdom. And then as we try to do those things, that's exercising our faith. I thought about this uh, in our own life. I think you can equate physical things to spiritual things sometimes. So think about physical exercise. If you take in and take in and take in caloric content, but you don't ever do, what happens? You get slow, lethargic, in, you know, in some ways puff up, I guess, you know, physically instead of spiritually. Um, but when you're exercising a lot, you have to take in, right? Or, or you become malnourished. So, so when you're exercising, so I think the same thing spiritually. We, we need to be in a great balance, right, of giving out and taking in and staying nourished. And then as, we, as you flex your muscles and as you tear them down and as you grow, you grow and you get stronger and you gain endurance. 
and you can have more stamina. But if you just give out, give out, give out, and you don't take in, you can become malnourished too, spiritually, and you can become famished and fatigued. So there's this balance. And the same thing, which we take in the truths of God, it should affect us, and it should flow out, and then we should impact the world, and we should impact our neighbors and our friends and those who don't believe. We should serve. Now, Paul, we find him thanking God for qualifying us in verse 12. And this is how we link in last week to this week. He wants us, he was thankful to God for qualifying us. It says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then the next five verses describe his beloved Son. Okay? So, thankful for being transferred to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have the redemption of the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Stop. That's Jesus' supremacy over creation. And as we keep reading in verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That is Jesus' supremacy over the new creation, his church. Now, what we see following, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So those last three verses of 21 through 23, we're going to do next time. But I think it's important to see how it fits making peace by the blood of his cross and you who were once alienated. And so we have this divergence here. Some people refer to this as a hymn, but we have this divergence and this proclamation of these excellencies of Jesus Christ, and that's what we're going to focus on today. It says he's the image. It's the same word that we get our word icon from, likeness like a statue, you're trying to, you know, make the image. In Genesis 1.27, we see that man was created in God's image. And then in 8.29 of Romans, it says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The fall marred the original image of God in us, and we do not possess God's holiness or his incommunicable attributes such as omniscience, omnipotence, or omnipresence. We are human and not divine. But this is not the case for Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 describes Jesus as, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Philippians 2.6, Who though He was in the form of God, 
did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped. And in John 14, 9, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. John 1, 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, Father, full of grace and truth. Paul is emphasizing here that Jesus is both representation and manifestation of God. This also is indication that the image of God formed in Adam pre-existed in Jesus beforehand. This is what Colossians 1.15 is emphasizing, his pre-existence as God's divine image and not just in the incarnational state. Now, John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And John eight fifty eight, when the Pharisees or the Jews said to Him, You are not yet 50 years old, and yet you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. The image of God in Adam pre-existed in Jesus, and then Jesus brought this image incarnate to do what Adam failed to do, and he raised it above, and someday it will be rec- he is raised above, and will someday, someday reconcile it all under him. Firstborn in all creation. It's important to distinguish firstborn here is dealing with the right of inheritance or position in rank, not a born creature. Jesus was not the first created being. There are people who believe that. They, they come around door to door, and they would like to use sections of Scripture, and they would like to then have a very subtle twist on this. And it's very important that we understand and that we're prepared to handle these things, these truths. Jesus was not a created being. He existed with God. Israel in Exodus is God calls Israel in Exodus is called God's firstborn, yet they were not the first people born. Esau was born first chronologically, but we know that God declared Jacob to have the inheritance. Now, Paul carefully is destroying this as we read on. So let's look. Verse 16 and 17, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. So if you are the creator, you are not created. Jesus is supreme over creation in two ways I mentioned as we read. He is the creator and he is also the sustainer. Let's look carefully here in the scriptures together. It says, by him all things were created, and for him, heaven and earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. I don't think there's anything left that can be covered. Invisible, invisible, and then all realms of influence and sphere. This says he created all things, big and small, the cells, the stars, the physical laws, All of us, 
He is the sustainer. It says he is before all things and all things hold together in him. Families, countries, marriages, churches, the very molecular makeup holds together. An application question. When, when, when we read these, right, it's easy to read these, but when we look on them and we think about them, right, they're, they're pretty massive verses. The question I have is, are we living in such a way that it is evident that Jesus holds this position in our life? This position of honor, of supreme, as creator and sustainer? John 1, verse 2 through 3, He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. Hebrews 1, 2, But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. And then lastly, Romans eleven thirty six: For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. There's a lot to digest here. When this verse says, by him all things were created, I do not personally know exactly how he did this or exactly how he holds it all together or exactly how and when he'll return. But I do know that the Bible teaches that Jesus has come and that he lived and that he died and that he rose again and ascended into the heavens. And I know that many people witnessed it and testified to it. And I know that in my own reading of Scripture, He revealed to me that I was a sinner separated by God. And it was so clear that there was no possible way for me to cover that chasm. As I became more and more aware of my sin, and I became more and more aware of the greatness of God, the holiness of God, and my separation. Jesus Christ became more and more and more in focus for me. And it became evident that there was no other way that I could see a possible path to bridge that gap except through Jesus Christ. And I remember vividly the day that I surrendered to Him and the burden was lifted. And I knew that I knew Him. And He had died for me. And he was going to someday come back for me. And I would someday be with him. Now, I don't know how Christ holds everything together in specific, but I can confidently reason by faith and logic that if he can be raised from the dead, he can hold it all together. Now, I have a background in physics. My background and my degrees in engineering physics. I've spent my life working in technology, technology fields, solving a lot of problems. What I know is that the more and more we study creation and the more and more intricate and amazing how things all hold together become, we see more and more order, more and more structure as we know more and more. We're constantly learning. And sometimes we amaze ourselves at how little we do know. Yet at the same time, we continue to advance. We learn more about materials. We make alterations. We we, we come up with new materials. The whole electric vehicle market, for example, 
that exist today because of advances in materials, the ability to make stronger, lighter materials so that you can go farther, right, with, with battery power. All of this works together. We ourselves as people are scheming and striving and working hard together to put all this together to accomplish something. Software. We like it, right? Makes our life easier. The whole concept of software existing on semiconductor platforms didn't even exist 100 years ago. We're making advancements. But if we just took away one force, the strong nuclear force, nothing would exist as it exists today. It's what holds nu the, the nucleus of uh, atoms together. If that force didn't exist, then matter as we know it wouldn't exist. I say all this for a reason. Now, sometimes as people and as humans, we start to think that we're, we're pretty strong. We got a lot of it together. And when I read these verses, I see the importance of seeing the grandeur and the beauty of Jesus Christ. But sometimes we get focused on our strength and, and what we're accomplishing and what we're doing. Think back just three years ago. Something like a, an invisible to the naked eye thing like a virus enters our world and causes complete chaos. It throws the entire world into chaos. An unseeable little virus. We went into lockdowns. We started fighting among ourselves. Huge gaps of readiness or lack of readiness were exposed. And yet we had years of planning and all these focus groups and all these think tanks and all this plan about this someday coming pandemic and then yet we seem to be falling all over ourselves. Would you agree? Collaboration. Even supply chains of what medicines were exposed. It upset our entire constructed societal order from working from home, traffic patterns, and even gathering together. I use that as an example because I remember thinking in my office as I was working from home for the, like the fifth month in a row, I was thinking, I just cannot imagine. I was, studying, I was reading the scripture about how something so small had completely brought the world to its knees. So if we think we're pretty smart, I think we have to think that through a little further. Now, if you don't want to see or if people don't want to see Jesus as supreme, maybe we should spend some time focusing on just how fragile what we construct really is and how it can be brought down really quickly. Now, today we see chaos consuming the mind. Smart people look at hardcore physical, biological, scientific facts and choose to deny the created order of male and female. It is a tremendous drift into a completely unique and dangerous realm when we decide as a culture and a society to deviate from observable, experimental facts into our own constructs from our own mind. 
The Bible teaches clearly that Jesus is supreme. All things, over all things. And that also means visible and invisible, even something like a virus. Kings and rulers, angels in creation, we will do well to gaze upon this truth. To look upon Jesus and find hope and strength to tie off on. 18 says, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And that in everything he might be preeminent. Firstborn here again means position of authority, first heir. He was not the first person physically raised, right? Because Jesus himself raised Lazarus. But he was the most important person ever raised. We must remember that Jesus is the head of the church, not an elder, not a pastor. Jesus is the head of the church. This is described in Scripture a variety of ways, family, kingdom, vineyard, flock, building, bride, but also as a body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit all were baptized into one body. And it says that God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose if all were a single member. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. But God so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, and there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, but there's a mutuality to the body. In verse 4, it says, Varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers all. Now, so we see here, look back in the scriptures, we see up through 17, he's supreme over all creation. And now we see he is supreme over the church, the firstborn from the dead. Ephesians 4, 15 through 16, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, Ephesians 5, 22 through 23 is an important passage also. You may want to just turn back a few pages. Uh, I'll start reading in 22 because this is a passage about the church, although Marriage is the, what's on display, and then we will end uh, soon. But I think it's important to look at this. In Ephesians 5, 22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now, before that, there's a verse that says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we've got to start there. And then uh, now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. We are to be cleansed by the word, sanctified by the word as a church, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle 
or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Now, it's not a marriage seminar today, so we're not going to unpack all that, but you see the importance of the church and Christ's superiority over the church and the sanctification of the church. And we as individuals are members of the church. And we as couples are households within the church, raising other kids, our kids and families within the church. And we join together to form this new creation under Jesus Christ where he is the firstborn from the dead. Now, the firstborn from the dead is extremely important because in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So we've covered that passage in previous weeks, the importance of it. So I have... One more passage here from Revelation to kind of focus this, and then we'll have some application. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion, forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Verse 19 through 20 speak about, for all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ, and through him to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, the cross and peace seem to be two uh, opposing things. Would we agree? The cross is one of the most violent ways to die. But yet, that violent death is how we have peace with Christ. It's because he suffered for our sin. And he is redeeming and reconciling all unto himself in the new creation. So where does that leave us? You know, I said last week, we should do what you can with what you have. Obedience and the knowledge of God's will starts with doing what you can with what you have today. God's will is not some secret, hidden, perceived thing. As he reveals to us what we should do in our word, we should start by obeying it. And we should allow ourselves to be washed by this word and sanctified by it. Now, so what is my hope for this passage today? It's just what Paul prayed last week, that we would be filled and characterized by a deep and increasing knowledge of Jesus Christ. To see him truthfully as he is and not some sort of weak, ineffective, All is love, 
all things kind of go, political figure that some people try to make Jesus out to be today. Is there anything in any of the verses that we just read that are remotely descriptive of the kind of construct that many in the world try to paint Jesus as today? As some weak teacher. He's the creator of the universe, existing eternally, our Savior. All things hold together in Him. The magnificent Christ. We should study Him. We should look upon Him. We should contemplate Him. And we would find that we will never even begin to exhaust or ring out even the the first tenth of what's there in our lifetime. We should know Him as Creator and Sustainer and Savior. And so, first question is, is today the first time you will look upon Him as your Savior? Or maybe your just interest is piqued to look more, to know more, to want to know more about this Jesus Christ. But if we know Him, and if we're a believer, we should look intently upon Him, striving to ask ourselves, is He first in all aspects of our life? Or just in some aspects of our life? All or some? Enough that we're getting by that everybody can see? Or all aspects of our life? You see, God wants us all. He wants all of us. Our heart, our mind, our actions, our intentions. He wants it all. And guess what? He deserves it all. Or is he sometimes an afterthought? If so, I would challenge you and me that he deserves first thought, not an afterthought. Sometime in my own life, I can get busy. I can get strung out on work and busyness, and even sometimes we can get strung out on doing great things like serving around the church. But if Christ begins to be an afterthought, that's when we start slipping over into things where we're serving out of our own effort and not out of our overflow. we got to keep Christ as the first thought in all things and continue to meditate on Him in all ways. And moms and dads, as our hearts individually get focused on Jesus, that should be spilling over and we should be drawing our children's eyes and minds onto Jesus. And as our families begin to get focused on Jesus, our community here of believers, it should be very evident among us, just like the Colossians, and Paul was talking about them. There should be this evidentiary work of the gospel in among us, and the love for the saints. We should be going out, and people in this community should know 
that those people at Christ Redeemer are all about Jesus Christ. And that we should make much of him in everything and in every way. Let's pray. Gracious God, I barely touched on uh, just one billionth of what your glory deserves. I pray that somehow through all of that, uh, even in my own uh, ineptness, that your word accomplishes its purpose and that you draw all of our minds to you. Lord, we would just ask that you would be glorified by us, that you would be glorified by our church. And Lord, we just ask that you would help us to know the places where we need to change and grow that are detracting from that in any way so that we can get them set aside and focused on glorifying you in all ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.